One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. It's my screen time too. Hello, and welcome to It's My Screen Time Too, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming. From Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters, we watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Katie. And I'm Deborah. And I have two kids, Jay, he's seven, and Kenny, he's four. And I have three kids, Tony is 13, and Libby and Nate are nine. And they are so adorable, right, Katie? So adorable. We like to tell a quick story about how awesome or sometimes awful that our kids are, because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms too. How about your household? What have your kids been up to this week? I just have to follow up my story from last week in which I said that Jay was really enjoying the bathroom acoustics while singing America the Beautiful. Mm -hmm. So Kenny has also been learning America the Beautiful, and he has created a highly entertaining mashup between America the Beautiful and this adorable kids book that he has called No Fuzzball. Are you at all familiar with this book? I don't know that book. So whatever. No Fuzzball is a very cute picture book about a cat that thinks her name is No Fuzzball because her name is Fuzzball and she keeps getting told no for everything. Um, (laughs) So there's this one dramatic page turn where Fuzzball says, it's time for, and then you turn the page and it's a two page layout and it says some uninterrupted beauty sleep. And you know how America the Beautiful has a lot of fours in it, four spacious skies, four amber waves of grain. So Kenny has been going around the house, and it's not just a one-time thing. It's been all week and singing, Oh, beautiful for spacious skies for some uninterrupted beauty sleep. And I will spare you how it sounds actually sung, but it's pretty cute, and I like it. I think America should stand for some uninterrupted beauty sleep. I love that. That is really cute. (laughs) So yeah, those of you with younger kids, no fuzzball. I think the author's name is Isabella Kung, and it is very cute. Nice. My cute story about the week is that it snowed for the first real true stick to the ground snow this week. And so I went to pick up my younger two from school and we live like a block and a half from their school. So it's really a quick walk home, but it took forever because they were just like romping in the snow and like so delighted that they could pick up the snow and play in it and throw snowballs and like have fun with their friends. And I just need to like absorb these fleeting moments of late elementary school childhood because I don't think they're going to last that much longer. I thought you were going to say you need to absorb these fleeting moments of them enjoying the snow because it's early winter and in another couple months it'll be awful and they'll hate it. That too. That too. And it's like 30 degrees out right now. So that's pretty pleasant winter weather for Minnesota. (laughs) Let's talk about screen time in the news. You picked out a good article this week, Katie. It's a variety article by Adam Vary, and the headline is Disney's live action Hercules will be, quote unquote, more experimental and inspired by TikTok, says producer Joe Russo. 
so the new live action Hercules movie is going to be directed by Guy Ritchie. And I realize he has experience in that realm because he also directed listeners. You might remember the live action remake of Aladdin, but I can't help but think of him as the lock stock and two smoking barrels ex-husband of Madonna. That's how, who he'll always be to me. So I think this is a funny assignment for him. And they do say it's going to be experimental. Um, the uh, the live action Disney movies have been a little bit criticized because they have stuck really close to the original plots of the movies. And the Russo producers say that this one is not going to stick as closely to the original Hercules. It's going to be more experimental. They have Guy Ritchie working on the screenplay with um, the writer who wrote Shang-Chi and The Legend of Ten Rings. They don't say it's going to be influenced by TikTok per se, but they do say they're trying to appeal to audiences who are used to watching things on TikTok. I don't know what this means. I'm not a TikTok head. All I know is I've seen like a couple clips and people do like funny dances and like quick wardrobe changes. And if that's what Hercules contains to appeal to the youth of today, that's fine with me. I think it'll be fun. Have you seen the original Hercules cartoon? I don't think I have in its entirety, but I feel like we've talked about this before and I said I was going to run right out and see it and I don't think I ever did. Oh, that's okay. If I had a dime for every time (laughs) I said I was going to watch something after this podcast and then didn't do it, I'd be a rich lady. Mm -hmm. But the thing that seems promising to me is Hercules isn't part of like the precious, precious Disney canon of my youth because I feel like it comes just past the wild success, which was the four year span of Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King. So they were already on their downward slope. I don't know anyone that has quite the intense emotional feelings about Hercules. And that makes me feel like maybe there'll be more room for interpretation I also don't know what it means to say that it's going to try and appeal to TikTok users, but I do know that the few Disney live action remakes that I have really liked have been the ones that have felt more free to deviate from the source material. They're fun. I need to watch the animated Hercules before the live action comes out for sure, because I need to be a Disney completist. (laughs) But I liked the Aladdin. I liked the Aladdin live action one. I thought that was a lot of fun. So we'll put this on our watch list. How much do you know about the original story of Hercules? Not much. So they make the Disney cartoon into a love story, right? So he meets mm-hmm. Megara, or however you pronounce it. I apologize if I'm pronouncing it wrong. Meg. And they get married, and that's, like, the happy ending to the story. But in the actual Hercules myth, like, he goes on later to kill her. So I wonder if, like, Guy Ritchie is interested in, like, expanding the lore a little bit. Yay, yay, yay. (laughs) (laughs) So it'll be interesting. I'm I'm at least glad to see that they're leaving the music in. Yes, me too. So today we are reviewing the new Netflix movie, My Father's Dragon. It was just released on November 11th, 2022. Rated PG, comes in at 1 hour 39 minutes. It is co-produced by Netflix Animation, Mockingbird Pictures, and Cartoon Saloon. 
It is directed by Nora Toomey, who was the director of the beautiful Secret of Kells, and perhaps more importantly for us, producer on our beloved Puffin Rock. Uh, the screenplay is by Meg Lefauvre, who has previously written some pretty big Pixar projects, including The Good Dinosaur and Inside Out. The movie is based on a 1948 children's novel of the same name by Ruth Stiles Gannett. And loose plot summary goes like this. We've got our boy Elmer, who travels to Wild Island to find a dragon who he's heard can help him get enough money to carry him and his mother out of poverty in Nevergreen City. Instead, Elmer ends up helping the dragon, Boris, prevent Wild Island from sinking. We picked it because the book is a classic and because you know how we feel about Puff and Rock. We are really excited to see this new movie and I feel like there was this Cartoon Saloon production called Wolfwalkers on Apple TV Plus, and it got oh, yeah. all sorts of good press, and we didn't cover it because at the time we were taking an absurd stance about not paying for Apple TV Plus. Now we both happily pay for Apple TV Plus, <laughs> but the Wolf Walkers moment has passed, so we are getting in on My Father's Dragon. <laughs> I also have to say that I listened to Meg Lefauve's podcast, uh, The Screenwriting Life. Oh. And she talks a lot about her process and create the creativity, and it's a really good podcast. Oh, awesome. Mm -hmm. So let's talk generally about the movie. Have you read the book? I felt so guilty after not reading the 20-page picture book for last week's episode about Pretzel and the Puppies that I sat down and read all 50-some pages of My Father's Dragon this afternoon because we happened to have a copy because last year when I was in full panic mode about the fact that Jay wasn't really doing independent reading, I did a lot of research on books that people had liked as like early independent readers for young grade school kids. And that one came up, bought it, tried it with Jay. He was not into it, but we happen to have one on the shelf. So I did in fact read it. Have you read it? I have not even heard of it. Well, until... it's an oldie. It looks really good. I, I looked it up. I saw a sales page for it online, um, but I have not read it. And it's part of a trilogy, too. Oh, is it? Oh, that makes me feel better to know, because to say that the movie is loosely based on the book is generous. I mean, there's a dragon and an island mm -hmm. called Wild Island. So did you like the movie? Did you like the book? How do they compare? Yes. I mean, it was good, if not a whole lot of fun. What did you think? Oh, it was definitely not a fun movie. I liked it for reasons other than its plot. Like, I loved it for the animation. Mm -hmm. I think it's worth watching just for that. And I loved, like, the cast. But the plot, I thought, just wasn't what I want to see in a movie. I just hate the trope of, like, the poverty-stricken family and the child who feels that they have to be... uh wage earner in order to keep their family afloat I just hate that it stresses me out from back when I was a kid and I read the little match girl do you remember oh, that yes. book? awful 
terrible. Like there's nothing noble about a child like going out and earning money so that their parent so that they have a place to live. Like that's a failure of society. And that was a definite choice they made for the movie because it wasn't in the books. Like the book was essentially a series of vignettes about this little boy on this island in his quest to go free the dragon. Mm -hmm. So you don't even meet the dragon until the last chapter. Like there's none of this business about the island sinking and there's none of this early story about the family being in poverty and wanting to him wanting to earn money to open up a candy shop. That's not there at all. So it was a very conscious choice. And to me, I found it really interesting that it was the same screenwriter who did Inside Out. Mm Because it reminded me a lot of the framing device of that movie because the family also moves to the city and the little girl is very unhappy at their change in circumstances and ultimately ends up running away. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting. I saw it sort of as like a Wizard of Oz type of device because the I love the name of the city Nevergreen because it's like very dreary and industrial and there aren't any trees or anything and then this island and the journey across the ocean there is like very lush and colorful I did kind of I did like that but did they have to run through all those coins making phone calls trying to be like a uber driver or yeah that was DoorDash delivery person Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is another one that has really stressed me out with mm-hmm. the the poverty plot and the cabbage soup and the grandparents. Anyway, Ugh, every time I do laundry, I think about Charlie's mom with the laundry paddle every time. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So let's talk about the cast and the characters. It was a tremendous cast, in my opinion. Yeah. They really had a real murderer's row. And Jacob Tremblay, who is the little boy who voiced Elmer, has really been knocking off those animated credits because he was also the lead in Luca, which was one I really mm-hmm. liked. Did you see that one? No. He was pretty adorable in that one. And he voiced Chase in the Paw Patrol movie. Yeah, I remember that. He's a star. Wow. He really is. I feel like sometimes when we're casting our gritty HBO HBO reboots and we're like searching our brains for like young talents to include, it's the same thing that Hollywood casting directors do. And they're like, Jacob Tremblay, we know him. He's a youth. Let's cast him. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Totally. There were so many people in it. Whoopi Goldberg plays the cat, Diane Weist, Yara Shahidi, Leighton Meester. Ian McShane, mm-hmm. Chris O'Dowd, Judy Greer, Gaten Matarazzo, who I recognized his voice, but I couldn't place him. He's uh, the kid from Stranger Things without any teeth. Uh-huh. Did you know? Okay. His mother's name is Heather Matarazzo, but his it's not the same Heather Matarazzo okay. from Welcome to the Dollhouse. You saw my face, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, whoa, that is wild, but it's not the same oh, okay. person. I thought it was interesting that they threw so much voice talent at this and the roles were so small. I mean, I guess you could say that Ian McShane had the next biggest voice acting role, but everyone else, it was kind of like a cameo, which does go along with the structure of the book. It is kind of a little bit like the Jungle Book in that way, that everyone kind of gets their own chapter and then you move on. Yes. And 
so many like adorable creatures and critters for the boy and the dragon to encounter. Mm-hmm. Elmer, right? Is that his name? Elmer's the boy. Yes. His name is yeah. Elmer Elevator. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So that brings us to the look of the movie. Um, It's a signature look for Cartoon Saloon. The backdrops are really beautiful. They sort of look painted. And the characters are very two-dimensional, angular, simplistic. I was not expecting the animation to be so stunning. Mm -hmm. What did you think of it? I had a similar feeling when I first started watching Puffin Rock in that I reacted immediately against the simplicity of the design of the actual moving characters and I eventually grew to love it but my first instinct was to think you know these aren't sophisticated enough and eventually that contrast grew on me but initially I was not a huge fan okay I liked them because they were just people looking animation I feel like some of the movies we've watched lately have like really zany takes on like faces, like weird noses and stuff. And that I find to be distracting. And this, I could just kind of get lost in like the mood of it and the evocative colors and the just overall artistry. Yes. Oh, the backgrounds. I just cannot overemphasize how stunning Talk to me for a minute about the design of Boris the dragon. What did you think there? He's like very childlike, very innocent. And I thought like the colors of his body were sort of circusy. Yeah. Which was fitting. And then he's supposed to like transform into this mature dragon. Um, and he does reach that like pinnacle of dragonhood, but then he still looks the same. Which I, which I liked. I was expecting some kind of physical transformation, but then he's like, same old Boris. Yeah. I like that they gave him whatever the dragon equivalent of freckles are. Yeah, that was <laughs> cute. What else? What did you think about Boris? His ears. I just, I didn't care for his ears. They're floppy like a dog's ears. And I just don't think about dragon's ears as being floppy. And I could not get into it the whole movie. Oh, gosh, I didn't even notice his ears. Well, if you go back and look, that's all you're going to be able to see now. Okay. (laughs) They're like basset hound ears. (laughs) And he did, you know, I like a character who's always hungry. He did have an appetite. He did. Enjoyed that. He was a good comedic sidekick. Let's talk about the writing. So different from the book, right? So it has to like impart a moral or a lesson, or at least it felt like there was an imperative to do so. And this was like the importance of unselfish friendship, the acceptance that one can't control all of life's circumstances. Very let's go to therapy with Pixar. Yeah. Feelings here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I felt that. I felt those Pixar bones. Yeah. I also wondered is the sinking island. Is that what's the problem in the book? Is the no, island sinking? there's no sinking island. The only problem in the book is that the animals that live on the island have tied the dragon up in order to make him ferry animals from one side of the river to the other. Oh, okay. That's it. Okay. I thought that the sinking island was a good allegory for our dying planet 
and rising sea levels. But there. (laughs) (laughs) And what about okay? So Elmer, like when he and his mom are, I don't know, evicted from their shop that they own. Like he scrambles around and gathers up like all these like broken items that are left on the shelves of the store that has gone out of business. And he puts them in his knapsack and then they turn out to be really useful once he gets to the island. So what did you think about that idea that if you have tucked away like special skills that you can only use when you're presented with the right opportunity to use them? What did you think about that? That was to me the most compelling and even though it most closely mirrors what happens in the book, the most original element of the plot because I felt like there were so many threads of things we were supposed to be learning like Elmer's Mm -hmm. learning how to be a good friend to Boris and to be an unselfish friend to Boris and an unselfish son to his mother I guess and Boris is learning how to trust himself and the silverback gorilla is learning how to be vulnerable and yet still care for the people on the island and Mm -hmm. there's just so many giant capital letter lessons when I feel like the coolest thing to me about the book was that Elmer went to this wild island with a backpack full of lollipops and chewing gum and was able to like conquer all these animals and that sense of fun wasn't there and again that is just what was missing it felt a little on the lugubrious side Mm -hmm. oh yeah it was definitely a deep movie and not a funny movie yeah chock full of symbolism but like when you're distracting a school of tigers no nope a group of tigers what do you call a group of tigers I thought they're solitary animals so I don't know yeah I can say I've never had to think about this before when you're distracting a group of tigers with chewing gum like that feels like it should have some inherent humor in it Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it managed to not. There was a cute moment that I really liked when um Elmer shares a tangerine with Boris and he kind of I think he doesn't want to, if I remember right. And then he like acquiesces and hands over the tangerine and Boris peels it and he only eats the peel. That was funny. Yeah, because they're perfect. Very friends, unexpected. Right? Yeah. <laughs> what did you think about the music? There is a special whistle that Boris and Elmer share to show their friendship. And it was hauntingly beautiful and perfect, I thought. It was sort of like the um, Frozen. Yes. Mm -hmm. Tune. That really high. That's not a whistle, but it's also very high notes. Yeah, that same kind of ethereal feel. Mm -hmm. I liked the score. I thought it complemented and enhanced what was happening in the movie but it was very like heavy orchestral like this is serious stuff going on but I thought it was well done in a certain way it feeds back into the idea that like animation doesn't have to be for kids and do Mm -hmm. major animation houses now feel obligated to prove that they can make products that are for grown-ups and if so why do you have to mess with this product that is obviously for children you can make animation for adults but it is also okay to make animation for kids yeah I don't know can we fault this movie because we just like funny stuff maybe more than serious stuff I don't know 
yeah, well, we can definitely. I mean, I'm on record <laughs> saying that I don't enjoy feeling my feelings. So yes, that that is obviously true. I also think it's maybe a issue of marketing or they didn't know their audience. Or maybe I'm thinking too much that people would have any familiarity with this book and it doesn't matter. No one would maybe even think of it as a children's property. But if you watch the trailer, it does kind of look like they cut the trailer for kids. Yeah, and that might be like the distribution company and not actually the creators of the movie. I felt like it was a solidly, what's the term? I think it's like a four quadrant movie. Like it appeals to not just kids, like despicable me like that's just that's just for kids especially the sequels but this is a movie that like my parents could watch and enjoy and they doesn't need to be with the grandkids and I am getting down on the heavy-handed moral lessons here but I will say that there were also some rip-roaring action sequences that were a lot of fun yeah it's sort of the ending maybe just be simply because it's an island it reminded me a little bit of like the climax scenes in Moana, mm-hmm. just like super high stakes. Yes, that was yet another lesson we're supposed to be learning that you have to be careful to maintain your roots so you don't sink <laughs> in case you were worried we were being too subtle. You're supposed to be learning a lot of big things. <laughs> I mean, a lot of big feelings. What did you think about the structure and the length? It was a little past our ideal of one hour, 30 minutes. It was at one hour, 43 minutes. Did to you me, hang in at there? least, if they were going to add this lengthy portion on the front about Elmer's life in Nevergreen City with his mom, I wanted more of a button on the end of how mm-hmm. things ended up on the other side of his time on the island. Did you feel that at all? Or was that just me? I felt like it was very abrupt. It had sort of a Narnia feel because Elmer has gone on this great adventure. He comes back. It's dinner time. So it's like Narnia where he's spent like years in this place saving the island. And he comes back and like barely any time has passed at all. And yet when he goes back to the apartment, I'm spoiling the ending. It's like all colorfully painted and the landlady is now nice to the mom. And like, what happened in those couple of hours? And they never settle on like the family's financial situation. Did they fill up the jar with coins again? I think we're supposed to think that some time has passed in that very last season. Okay. Very last scene, excuse me, when they are like watering their tangerine tree in the windowsill and Mm -hmm. the landlady is suddenly nice to them. But you're right. There was, to me, too little explanation. But then Elmer is still going outside to panhandle with the local street urchins. So their situation can't have improved too much. Yeah, that felt that was unsatisfying, dissatisfactory to me, the ending. I'm glad that you felt that way, too. Since you mentioned The Wizard of Oz, I'm wondering if I would have felt more closure if they had done a Wizard of Oz thing where, like, maybe the voices of some of the animals on the island were the voices from the adults in his real life. Ooh, I would have liked that. Like, you were there and you were there. The beginning was narrated and then the ending wasn't. So I didn't feel like it was, I don't know, it just didn't feel all wrapped up. 
You're right, because the title of the movie is My Father's Dragon. So it starts out with a narration of the daughter talking about this adventure that her father had, but then that is abandoned. Mm -hmm. And it could have probably, I would have felt more closure if that voiceover would have summed up a few loose loose threads. It just, it could have used some focus, I guess. Mm -hmm. It felt like they were free to expand the world from that of the book. They didn't feel beholden to the source source material, which is fine, but then they didn't focus enough. Mm -hmm. Any other general thoughts? No. (laughs) No more thoughts. (laughs) Out of thoughts. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you to scrape the bottom of that barrel and tell me if you were able to compare this to any TV show or movie for grownups, even though this kind of felt like it was kind of for grownups anyway. I thought of the movie Hustle with Adam Sandler. Have you watched that? He's like no. a, he's like a sports agent and he tries to get this basketball player who has a lot of talent like at peak performance so that he can sign him with a team and make a ton of money. So it's sort of like Hero goes on a quest and he's like spending time away from his family and he's really hustling, hence the title of the movie. <laughs> It doesn't have like a ton in common with this movie, but like the motivations of the character and the stuff he goes through made me think of it. Is it funny? Is it like Adam Sandler being Adam Sandler? It's not like a punch drunk love Adam Sandler, but it is more like a uncut gems. I don't. It's a grown up Adam Sandler. Gotcha. I liked it, but I enjoy Adam Sandler. That's fair. Yeah. Mine is even more out of left field. So I was really caught up on the idea of Boris and Elmer as friends and how the end was kind of Elmer realizing that he had to accept Boris for who Boris is, Mm -hmm. even if Boris makes some decisions that aren't the ones that Elmer would make. Mm -hmm. So I got to thinking about movies about friendship. In general, there aren't enough movies about grown-up female friendships. But the one that I eventually landed on, maybe it's because we've been talking about beaches lately, but was <laughs> the first Wives Club. Because <laughs> those are four women that are ultimately very different, but they have a strong bond and end up supporting one another despite their differences. That's a good one. That's a good movie, too. Is that Nancy Myers? It feels like it might be. Look at that cast. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Were you able to cast the gritty HBO reboot? Okay, this cast was so good. Mm -hmm. I would keep many of them playing the roles of the animals on the island or like people versions of the animals on the island as our hero goes on a quest. I've been watching The White Lotus lately, the new season, and so I would cast Aubrey Plaza in Elmer's role. And I would keep... (laughs) Gaten Matarazzo, I thought he was delightful and I enjoyed him in Stranger Things a lot. And he would be like a good counterbalance because Aubrey Plaza tends to play like really jaded characters and Gaten Matarazzo is like very bubbly. Yeah, he could be like the early era Chris Pratt. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Do you remember the early 2000s, late 90s? late 90s, when that movie Life is Beautiful came out. And everybody loved it, but it was in hindsight 
totally grotesque. It was like about this father and his son and they go to a concentration camp and he manages to convince his son that it's just a fun game that they're playing. It sounds familiar, but I don't I With don't the know. Italian guy, he has like this huge outsized personality, Roberto Nope, not gonna Benini. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Putting aside the appropriateness of that movie, I was just thinking maybe it would be interested interesting to focus on the role of the mother in Elmer's life and she could be played by I think Maria Doyle Kennedy might be a little on the old side to have a child as young as Elmer but I'm gonna go with it anyway and the whole thing is like an elaborate way for her to get Elmer through this period of poverty in their life by turning it into some fun adventure on a wild island oh I like that it wouldn't really be any more depressing than the actual movie. Mm-hmm. You're picking up what I'm putting down. <laughs> Do you think it was better when we were kids? Not animation-wise. This was incredible animation. Agreed. There's a lot of dragon content lately. You're right. Over the last like two years, right? We just had uh, Puff the Magic Dragon, I think. I know. I want to see... And never-ending story. I want to see Boris, the like floppy-eared, tiny-winged striped dragon just flying into Westeros. <laughs> <laughs> Hi guys, dirt dirt dirt. Sorry. Yes, you're right. We did have the never ending story. You cannot beat Falcor for a dragon. Sorry, Boris. Would you ever watch this alone voluntarily? Did you watch it alone? I did watch it alone, but I definitely want to see it with my kids because I think Tony really gets into like the Studio Ghibli animated movies. Oh, and so I think yeah. Mm-hmm. He'll like this for the art and um, the other two will like it for the cuddly critters on the island. Yeah. How about you? I would not watch it alone voluntarily because I don't care for feeling my feelings, but (laughs) I did watch the second half of it alone. The first half I watched with the kids and they were medium into it. Like I said, there are moments of action that grabbed them much more than like the contemplative sorrow that was the general ambiance of the movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. At one point, Boris tried to make that armpit farting noise, and they really found that to be funny. Uh, So I definitely strayed into 10 seconds on whether or not this is good for our kids. I think it did get a bit scary for Kenny, but Jay at seven was fine. For the younger kids, it might be a little bit stressful when they're saving the island. And it's also slower, like as you can glean from our conversation thus far. So if you have a kid that is not necessarily amenable to that, I might think twice. Mm -hmm. Ratings? I will give it, uh, I will give it a four. I agree because it was really beautiful to look at. And I think Mm -hmm. that can cover a myriad of sins plot wise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even though it wasn't like exactly what I like to see in a movie, it was still a good movie. I'd agree with you there. (laughs) Co-signed. Thank you for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. If you enjoyed our show today, please share it with someone you think might enjoy it too. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at My Screen Time 2, or send us an email at myscreentime2 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your show or movie suggestions. 
article recommendations, or general comments about the show, our website is myscreentime2.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by me and my adorable children, and our podcast is produced by Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV we watch with our kids because we have to and sometimes because we like to. Bye.